I think the bougiest thing about me is that if I don't have raw fish within seven days, I think I'm going to (laughs) self-destruct. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap about a couple of Los Angeles movies. I watched Under the Silver Lake for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched Heat. Hell yeah, you did. But first, before we get to the wonderful city that is Los Angeles, how are you doing? What have you been watching? I'm doing good. I've been watching, honestly, a lot of classics and a lot of documentaries. Um, And then I finally, it's been on my watch list forever, as Blind Spotters listeners know, finally watched Full Metal Jacket. Loved it. I mean, fucking, it's my man, Stanley Kubrick. He can do no wrong. Very intense graphic but not as violent as I was expecting it to be just sort of like what had turned me off of it or it put it on my list for so long without actually taking it off on the other end of the spectrum a movie that is very violent and is very intense I watched Raging Bull the Martin Scorsese film with Robert De Niro I realized as I was hearing more and more about Killers of the Flower Moon that I hadn't seen as many Scorsese films as I thought I had seen. I've seen, obviously, a lot of the the classics, the ones that are like you must see, but there were still some blind spots there in the in the Pantheon and a lot of his like smaller films. Raging Bull is not one of his smaller films. It is in the Pantheon, but I just hadn't seen it. It is very aggressive, but I liked it. Robert De Niro, in- incredible. <laughs> Who knew? Great cinematography in that movie. And then I watched a Jodie Foster joint from her younger days. I watched The Accused. Yeah, I didn't really know much about this movie, um, except that she had won an Academy Award for it, and it was on Max, and so I thought I would watch it. And I recognized like a lot more of the scenes than I thought I would. It was really good. It was definitely... Like, it's a tough hang in a very different way than Raging Bull, Um, but it was still, I mean, Jodie Foster, what a goddamn queen. How are you? What have you been up to? What have you been watching? I'm good. I just spent some time in Vancouver. Shout out to the... Oh, nice. Is it still the Pacific Northwest if it's the southwest of the country? Um, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I was about to... Is it... (laughs) I don't know how... Anyway, Vancouver's great. Um, People should go. Got to meet Spencer Kite, who is a friend of the pod. Hell yeah. So shout out to Spence. Uh, But no, what I've been watching, I've been watching a lot of good stuff, actually. Criterion has a screwball um, comedy classics collection out right now. So I've been mowing my way through that. But that's perfect for you. Yeah, it was a good time. And then they also have a Marilyn Monroe collection out right now. So I watched How to Marry a Millionaire, um, which was referenced in uh, the movies we watched for this episode. Um, I also watched Paper Moon, the Peter Bogdanovich classic. Really fucking great shout out to madeline khan now and always on the other end of the spectrum i watched john wick chapter four how did you like it that movie fucking rips um nice. great use of paris great use of stairs uh and maybe the best john wick if not the the second best and then i also watched back to the other end of that spectrum enough said uh the nicole hall center movie with julia louis dreyfus and James Gandolfini, super love. sweet. Love a like a middle-aged rom-com, even though I'm not even close to middle-aged. Um, I wanted to watch that before watching um, You Hurt My Feelings, which is mm-hmm. another Hall of Center and Julia Louis-Dreyfus collab. So I was glad to knock that one out. And then we both saw 
the boys. The boys. Boy genius. They're back in town. Whatever she wants. They're like literally, I mean, we're sp- specifically talking about Julian, but any of them. Any of them. Whatever she wants. Any of them. Did I scream at the top of my lungs, I'm 27 and I don't know who I am? Yes. Yes. Anyway, we swapped a couple of Los Angeles movies. Uh, why don't you talk about why we decided to pair these movies? They do take place in Los Angeles. That's like why we wanted to put them together. But I feel like they also like make really good use of the city of Los Angeles. And it's not that... I mean, heat could exist in other cities where Under the Silver Lake obviously couldn't. But I think that having heat be in LA gives it a certain style compared to like New York or Chicago. Yeah, just both of them make really good use of the city of Los Angeles. So we wanted to put them together. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think that kind of leads into this next question before we get into the swap. Um, What do you think makes a good Los Angeles film? I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think in the case of like Under the Silver Lake, they use a lot of known monuments like the Griffith Park and um, obviously the Silver Lake and like the neighborhoods and things like that. But there's also like a very different vibe about L.A. than there is about New York. I'm just going to use New York as my example because it's like often where a lot of movies take place. And, you know, you could do it on the one end of the spectrum, the sort of like superficial Instagrammy style airheady blonde version of L.A. that some people have, like the kale smoothies and all the stereotypes. Um, I don't know if that's like actually Los Angeles as I've been there a hundred million times, but that is like a variation. But also I think that there's just like a pace about LA that's so different. And that's why people love New York because it's like so fast paced. If your movie involves like a lot of driving, I think that LA is like a great background. So I think that there's like aspects of LA that give your movie some gravitas or some instant understanding. I don't know if that was like too long-winded. <laughs> well, no, driving in LA is long-winded, so that makes sense. Um, I think it's a good point about the familiarity about things in Los Angeles, um, where it can act as a shorthand. I think LA movies are interesting because LA is so large and sprawling, and there's so many yeah. subcultures, and there's so many pop cultures that come out of there. Los Angeles can either be a subject or a character in a film. Mm-hmm. So when you think about like, because it's also a little different than like a Hollywood film. Like, I don't think we're talking about like La La Land or Hail Caesar or Babylon. Recent LA movies, I feel like, are like Licorice Pizza, um, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the Valley, or uh, even Marriage Story is a great contrast between like the difference between a New York and an LA film and, and the, those cultures. Um, Absolutely. And I think you have a lot of time to yourself in Los Angeles because you're always driving. And do you want to drive across town to go see your friend? Maybe it's not. significantly like more isolated, I guess, than New York. But I think that like licorice pizza makes really good use of how being in the sun all the time impacts you. <laughs> and maybe it's, that's just because like we're two desert kids, but like it gives you like a certain vibe, I guess. I don't know. How no, to I think put it's it. when you have the availability to just like go outside, but there's nothing to do outside. Yeah. And and there's nowhere to really go outside. That's different than like New York where you can go outside, but it's going to be like the weather could be volatile. But also you're just going from like your small apartment to like a bar because it's better than your living room. But in L.A., your living room is better than driving 35 minutes to a bar. And I think these are two 
uh, different uses of Los Angeles. I think LA is a location for heat, but I think LA is a, a subject for under the Silver Lake and we'll parse through it. Absolutely. Right now, let's flip the coin. Amanda, pick a side. Tails. It's tails. That's at least two in wow. a row. Wow. That's um, at least two in a row. I do know that. <laughs> uh, so pick which movie uh, we are talking about. Oh, this is actually it's a, a really choice. hard I'm one. I'm actually happy I lost this coin toss. Uh, this is a hard one. I think we should do Silver Lake first. Okay. And then end on heat. Okay. That sounds good. Let's get weird. All right. Well, take me out of the Silver Lake. Zach, what happened in this movie? So much that I'm going to skip a lot, but uh, we'll talk about it all. Anyway, Under the Silver Lake, uh, written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. Um, it came out in 2018. So we meet Sam, who is played by Andrew Garfield. He is an unemployed 33-year-old living in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. We learn he has aspirations of making it in Hollywood, but mostly he is obsessed with conspiracy theories in pop culture and not paying his rent. One day, he is on his balcony spying on his neighbors and sees Sarah, played by Riley Keough, a new neighbor. They later meet, and she invites him to her apartment where they hang out and start to hook up until her roommates arrive, and then they seemingly, like, rain check. Uh, in the morning, Sarah and her roommates are gone, though, and Sam tries to figure out what happened to her. Around the same time, he sees a report of billionaire Jefferson Severance's death, where he burned in a car with three women, and Sam recognizes Sarah's hat in the footage. Unwilling to let go of things easily, Sam continues his investigation and dives deeper into LA's weird little subcultures. At several parties, he becomes obsessed with, like, hidden messages and bands lyrics he encounters a group of actors slash sex workers and eventually he meets an author who is as fixated if not more fixated on those conspiracy theories and secret codes in pop cultures or like cereal boxes and whatever later sam meets seven's daughter millicent who's played by cali hernandez and she asks for his help but is shot when they go to swim in the la reservoir which adds to the mystery at one point he meets a man named the homeless king and he leads him to an underground bunker after deducing a message and a, from a song and interrogating a band singer, he finds a songwriter in a mansion who claims to have written basically every single pop hit of the last several decades and maybe also Bach songs. Um, and then that songwriter shoots at him. Eventually, anyway, Sam finds his way to an off-the-grid hut where a man is living with three women. Sam holds them at gunpoint and forces them to tell the truth in which the man reveals a secret society of wealthy men who seal themselves in underground tombs so they can then ascend, and they are accompanied by three wives. Sarah, it turns out, was one of Sevens' wives, and she is still alive in the tomb, but the tomb is sealed, and there's no getting her out, really. But Sam is able to contact her through a video phone, and Sarah basically tells him that she's at peace. The man then drugs Sam, who is then kidnapped by the homeless king, but then eventually let go. Um, when Sam returns home, he decides to sleep with one of his neighbors, and afterward, he watches his landlord and a cop enter his apartment to a victim, and they find a symbol on his wall, which is code for stay quiet. I know I skipped so many things, but <laughs> no, how did but I do? That's, that's the, those are the plot points. Those are the plot points. Uh, yes. <laughs> let's, let's get into uh, this film because there's a lot to parse through. Uh, first of all, why don't you tell me why you picked this movie? So this movie, I feel like, didn't get the flowers it deserves. And some people, 
it's kind of divisive. Like if you Google it and you look at the star rating, there's almost as many five star ratings as there are one star ratings. And I feel like that's perfect for this film. You're either like vibing and you're into the whole like this is an insane mystery that's getting so out of control or you're like this is an insane mystery and this is out of control. It is one way or the other. So I always love to show people this movie because I think it's really fun um, and I'm on board for what they're trying to do. But it's also like it's not unique at all. There's a lot of movies that are similar but for this day and age, it's also like really unique. There's new twists every few minutes and it uses like so many sites of Los Angeles to answer its clues or to like bring you to the next section. And I always think that's super fun. And it's one of my favorite Andrew Garfield roles. So let's get into that. What were your first impressions and what stood out to you? I guess the vibes <laughs> to yeah, for, sure. like, for lack of a better term. <laughs> So because I've been watching a lot of old movies lately, it's pretty blatant, but it's like a noir parody homage. It's like it's like a maximalist sun soaked noir. Like it's not a lot of yeah. as much like playing in the shadows. It's very much out in the daylight. You can see every bit of the grimy weirdness of L.A. Kind of reminded me of Inherent Vice and Chinatown, um, two movies yeah. that just uh, have your subject dive deeper and deeper into conspiracies or weird situations that are above them above their pay grade above their station um chinatown's a really good call there the director david robert mitchell called it a period piece of a nightmarish 2011 which in retrospect kind of fits a lot of the puzzle pieces together because i feel like uh the early 2010s were i mean obviously a different time but thinking about it now 12 years later just just weirder just a weirder time people had a lot of time (laughs) on their hands it was like yeah Twitter wasn't Twitter yet, or it was just about to be Twitter. Instagram wasn't really popping off yet. So um, a lot of these internal discussions or, or pockets were, you know, Gen X was still kind of thriving a little bit. And there's something so like sickly appealing about this movie. Every time I would be grossed out or just kind of feeling like I'm going to veer out of the film, there'd be a shot or there'd be a joke or there'd just be like a review. It was like, I guess, paced well in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. And it would it would kind of pull me back into the movie. I love that. I think that's kind of what I meant about like how there's a new twist like every so many minutes. There's like a new puzzle piece or what you thought was the answer like isn't the answer and it's a character. Um, one of my very favorite J.J. Abrams quotes, the television movie producer, is the best answer to a question is a person. And that's sort of like how he created Lost is like the answer should always be like a person. And I feel like this movie does a lot of that as well. And I think that's like a really interesting way to put together a film. Yeah. And it's very video gamey in that sense where like you're, you're on a quest and you're finding out this mystery and you meet out, meet these characters or it's like the homeless king or that songwriter or the singer of a band or the author who keep giving you these clues And there's so many references to old movies like uh, Sam is watching How to Marry a Millionaire in the beginning of the movie. It's a very weird window-y, vertigo-y start to the film. None of it's subtext. No. (laughs) It's all just there. It's all text. It it doesn't show. It tells you. Um, Yeah. You know, it shows Hitchcock's grave. um, Yes. (laughs) Topher Grace, who is literally, literally credited as Bar Buddy says we crave mystery because there's none left they could have just like left that out there and somebody could have put that together but no this is a film that's going to tell you 
we crave mystery because there is none left. And so I found that kind of intriguing because for me, when I'm watching, if someone tells me something like that in a film, that means either A, that's not the point, or B, like, all right, I need you to know this so you can further understand what's going to happen next. Uh, also to the sickly appealing part of it is because of the cinematography, Michael Geolakis, I don't know if I said that name right, was the cinematographer on this film. He worked with David Robert Mitchell on It Follows. He's worked with M. Night Shyamalan a handful of times. He's also worked with Jordan Peele on Us. Um, he also worked on the Eyes of Tammy Faye. But uh, th- there's like a real like wide angle lens that it's like a very like widescreen capturing like whole sprawling atmospheres even in intimate settings that i really liked and i think that Mm -hmm. uh, played into why it was so appealing to watch even if it was like gross another thing that stood out was just the unhinged little details um (laughs) such as one time sam and bar buddy are in a bar and they're just chatting and then someone opens the door and you see it's it's broad daylight they're in the bar at like 10 a.m so Um, good david robert mitchell was really particular about a lot of this stuff too like um, Andrew Garfield in an interview said he would hold a whole day of shooting to fix a prop like if something on the cereal box wasn't right because it had to be so specific and the screenplay kind of reads like a novel almost if you ever take a look at it like there's not a so instead of saying like Sam is at a gas station it'll say like Sam is in the parking lot of the 76 gas station near Hillhurst and Los Feliz. I feel like if you know LA well you get more out of this movie than people who might not know LA that well. I think it's really interesting your note here about David Robert Mitchell being so specific about all the props because like you have to make sure that everything lines up because people watched this movie and not only did they like understand what was happening to Andrew Garfield's character, but it has like a cult following of people who are like, no, this is like DRM trying to tell me something now. And people will use this movie as like a way to go through different sources and codes and like in the real world. And so it being very specific is like a really, it has to be. (laughs) Like (laughs) there's like an analysis of the movie where like the fireworks are emitting a Morse code. The movie is about ciphers in media and then people also took it as a cipher in media and i thought that was really cool yeah we'll get into how that has kind of built a cult following around this movie um yeah i have have some notes about that later but andrew garfield has said that he was inspired um by that kind of specificity and he was quote turned on by it agreed which you know who among us and speaking of andrew garfield that's another thing that stood out on first watch and was really um magnetic just as much as the visuals and the the energy around the film kind of pulled me back in so did andrew garfield's performance he called it on uh the big picture in an interview with one sean fantasy called it a cathartic experience uh especially the scene where he was beating up the little kids (laughs) i love that that's so funny (laughs) and this interview was uh in late 2018 or early 2019 whenever uh this film was coming out so he hadn't yet had the reclamation project that was spider-man no way home um Mm -hmm. so i don't know if his feelings might change might have changed around that but i feel like that was a pointed comment he even called it cathartic like sniffing a vibrator in that that one scene Um, all right real animalistic energy coming out from from garfield in that in that interview but you know he was going through it at the time um i mean spider-man's like so polished 
that like him being able to play just like a little freak probably was like really fun. And also like his Spider-Man movies weren't loved. Yes. <laughs> this also made me think about um, Andrew Garfield's career arc in the middle of watching the movie. Because obviously he starts out with Boy A and he's in the social network and then he's in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. He's nominated for Hacksaw Ridge and mm-hmm. he does a Scorsese movie right before this as well. So this was his first real like weirdo film, I think. Yeah. Um, where he plays quote unquote against type and obviously showed like he can do that. He can be just a strange guy. Unfortunately, the note that I put in uh, while I was watching was, I wonder how much he pulled on his heartbreak from his breakup with Emma Stone in this <laughs> performance. Because that oh, man is no. still in love with Emma Stone for sure. For sure. I did also enjoy the scene where his hand is covered in gum from the kids oh, yeah. the night before. <laughs> and he like accidentally sticks his hand onto a Spider-Man comic and like can't get it to get off yeah. of him. I was like, wow, that's so meta. It's so hilarious. It's perfect. <laughs> and he like flings it across the room in anger. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> that's real. <laughs> oh, man. We'll talk more about Andrew Garfield later in this pod. But um, he definitely was a big reason of why I was able to actually enjoy uh, a lot of this weird film. I think it's one, like I said, it's one of my favorite performances by him. So that being said, aside from Andrew Garfield's performance, what were some of the things that you thought about most since you've watched it? The character Andrew Garfield played. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know how else to think about it, but like, it's, it's like the main character energy. I know he, Sam is the main character, but it's just Sam wholeheartedly believing or wanting to desperately believe that he is like the center of all this mystery and conspiracy that he's the one that can figure it out. Ethan Warren from Brightwell Doc Room has a really deep dive article about uh, under the Silver Lake, but he kind of called Sam the the noir detective made realistically toxic. Um, oh, that's good. Which which I, I found like a fun turn of phrase because there's like so many pop culture references and there's so many like again the silly little details whether it's him saying that he's watched wheel of fortune for seven months straight like do you know how unemployed you have to be to watch wheel of fortune I, like i never watched wheel of fortune more than when i was unemployed for a summer unemployed. <laughs> and then and then also like summer breaks during high school yeah <laughs> um, for sure to parse through what vanna white's looks off to the side might mean um, and then there's the scene where he's like going back to like even like her modeling days to see if like she's still doing the look all the way back then. Right. It's a noir where Google is available to you. And so he doesn't have to really figure out what NPM means. He can just Google it really quick. Then all of a sudden it means Nintendo Power Magazine and he happens to have it. I did really enjoy the reality of searching just an acronym and like. 38 things coming up and i'm like that is so real yeah it's just like i mean we've all gone through like rabbit holes like this guy would be a menace on reddit which is funny because then he inspired a a very active reddit thread but uh yes andrew garfield has said like everything about the character is on the page i think that's that might be why people don't like it is that there is nothing left to the imagination but i think it's fun to let andrew garfield have a character like that I think, yeah, I think there is, but there isn't, right? Like, people decide to, like, deep dive on what do the fireworks yeah. mean? Who is the dog killer? Uh, what does the skunk smell mean? You know? Um, yeah, all the little things. It is a maximalist movie. He's so lost in, like, trying to find meaning in just, like, things that are happening. Like, there is mm-hmm. no coincidence. It's all, it must mean something because then his life will have this weight or he is the one that can unveil the conspiracy. Yeah, and the funny part is, like, he does. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it, then it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. He accepts in the end. I mean, when she says, like, there is no getting out of it now or there's no going back now or, like, something like that when she realizes, like, maybe I have made a mistake. This is Sarah we're talking about in the end scene. Maybe I have made a mistake, but I'm already down here. There's nothing I can do about it now. And he says something to the effect of, like, me too. And it's the idea that, like, he has figured it out and now he's burdened with this information, but there's nothing he can do about it. Nothing he can do with it. It doesn't change anything. He's still going to get evicted. He's still going to be homeless. Like, it's none of it. Congrats, you figured it out. Like, it's meaningless. And it's also just, like, delusional. Like, he, like, when he's walking with Millicent and then he's, like, ranting about homeless people. And I'm like, brother, you're about to become homeless. Uh, Brother, you are fucking homeless. (laughs) Like, you're being evicted. Yeah. Uh, So it's just that lack of self-awareness, too, that adds to both like the comedy and like I guess the tragedy of the character the other thing I've thought about the most since watching is David Robert Mitchell uh hadn't watched any of his films before this I hadn't watched it follows because it's a horror movie and I hadn't watched the myth of an American sleepover myth was like this micro budget indie that was well received but not a hit um he had joked that he and the crew used to make quips like every single time they got a good review about that movie it's like can we cash that um because when they went back to hollywood they still didn't have any money it follows was was his breakthrough in 2014 uh the studios wanted to make it a franchise and he kind of rejected that idea have you seen that film yeah it's one of my favorites oh yeah it's uh it's one of those things like if people like horror movies i'll always suggest it Mm. um and it is one of my if you liked this movie you should watch this movie uh movies the only uh, thing I know about new about it follows is that um, Daniel Zavato is in it, and he is the prophet in Station Eleven. Yes, because that I is wanted correct. to know what else was that guy in, and I saw it follows, and I'm like, well, I hope he makes something I can watch. Uh, yeah, it follows. It's really, really good. Nice. And then I'm just gonna call him DRM because <laughs> yeah. we're on that level now. He wrote Under the Silver Lake before it follows. Wow, that's surprising. He wrote it in 2011. Um, which is why I guess he kind of quote unquote set the movie in 2011 as a 33 year old. He would have been about 35 uh, by the time he was writing this. Uh, he had joked that like when he was, he was writing it, his wife was even like, you're acting a little bit crazy right now. It was like this kind of uh, hyper specific period of time where he was, you know, frustrated by not getting his like break really through in Hollywood, despite making this good American sleepover film. And was just very frustrated of like needing to just make it happen himself um, and wrote this film. So you can kind of feel that frustration and animosity and aimlessness kind of in the in the movie as well. Despite like knowing and having all this information and like history of like film watching and classics and inspiration um, from all those films as well. Yeah, exactly. The writer, play director, Tom Anderson, uh, he wrote something called Los Angeles Plays itself. And he said, quote, although Los Angeles is a city with no history, nostalgia has always been the dominant note in the city's image of itself. And I feel like that kind of summarizes the way L.A. is characterized and riffed on in this film, you know, from, again, the clear references to like Rear Window to Hitchcock's grave being in the sight of like this random like sea level indie being projected in the park because we all want it to be like something profound but honestly it's just it's just a weird little situation have you ever gotten to see a movie in forever hollywood cemetery no i'm not going to a movie in a cemetery oh 
It happens a lot. I've been. It's just not my thing. The other thing I thought about is just LA is a weird town. Sometimes, most times. Uh, yeah. You know, you can't, you can't have like all those people who are big dreamers uh, in, in one city and not have just like some weirdos. Yeah. It's a lot of arts, artsy people trying to be out artsying the rest of them. Going back to that Ethan Warren article, he said, quote, LA is a surreal playground teeming with desperate dreamers uh, striving towards recognition and acceptance. And then kind of like basically says these are all sacrifices made on like satisfying another man's ambition and just the nihilistic feeling that comes with late stage capitalism, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. is where that like grossness kind of comes deeply in this movie. I think nihilistic is a good word for it. What were some of the things you looked up once you finished watching the movie? I wanted to look up if there was like any significance to like orange juice and saltine crackers. <laughs> like if that was a thing. Um, yeah, good call. Uh, there, there wasn't anything, but both come up on a list of the worst foods to eat when you're sick. The worst foods to eat? Yeah, because like... Wow. The acidity and like the I don't know what a bit what it was about saltine crackers, but I think it was funny because then I was like, God, I'm turning into one of these Reddit people because I'm like, oh, <laughs> Sam is like sick in kind of the head, and like the woman he's chasing is like saying OJ and saltines are great, and like that's not what he needs, even though it seems like that's what he should be eating. I love that. <laughs> and then I and then I like took a walk. Um, yeah, went outside, looked at the sun. Yeah, touched um, some grass. That's so funny because I always eat saltines when I'm sick. Right, yeah, totally. But, you know, we don't always have to pay attention to what WebMD is saying. Another thing I looked up was, how does one get rid of the skunk smell? Every time I watch this movie, when the actress comes in, she's like, what's that smell? And he's like, oh, there's a lot of skunks. I thought it was like a weed joke. I thought it was too. Um, And then he like sees the skunk and I was like, oh, skunks, for real. (laughs) To get rid of skunk smell, again, not tomato juice. I always thought it was. That's also a myth. So huh. once again, Andrew Garfield just falling for these myths that are Damn. actually not helping him at all. Uh, if you are some person listening to this podcast and needs to know how to get rid of a skunk smell, this is how you do it. You get one quart of 3% hydrogen peroxide, preferably a fresh bottle, quarter cup of baking soda, and then one to two teaspoons of liquid dish soap. Huh. I would have never thought that. Have you ever been sprayed by a skunk? Hell no. Me either. Thank yeah, God. <laughs> let's, let's keep it to just thinking that that's weed. Correct. Um, <laughs> and then because I knew that this had kind of a cult following, I wanted to look up how its perception has grown or evolved over time. Um, like you said, if you look up the reviews of the film in the middle of it, like while the movie was coming out, there were some people that did love it and had it ranked highly on their year end list. And then there's some people that hated it. Uh, A.O. Scott, he said, quote, it isn't a critique of aesthetic or romantic ennui, but an example of intellectual timidity. A.O. Scott, crushing. <laughs> but I do think it is because of the songwriter saying it out loud or, yeah. you know, we crave mystery because there is none while I fly a drone to a model's house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where she looks directly at the drone and then just starts crying. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's actually the most like L.A. situation. <laughs> And even David Rod Mitchell said, like, maybe this will grow on people and they'll appreciate it more years from now, or maybe not. He made the movie that he wanted to make. This movie had like a pretty muted reception at Cannes when it premiered. And people were like, oh, maybe he'll edit it and like cut it down or do something. And and he didn't. He's like, this is the movie I'm putting yeah. out. I think that's great. You know, the Twitter 
thing that's going around right now or like this gets brought up a lot is like who is a stupid person's version of a smart person (laughs) do you know what i'm talking about no oh that's been all over my timeline and the answer is mostly elon musk (laughs) but (laughs) like all the people who you think are dumb are like no this guy's like super smart and you're like there's literally no there's no fucking way but this is like that as a movie. Like this is like a stupid person's version of a smart movie, despite the fact that I like this movie. And I think that there's like gems in it that are so real and like nihilistic, like you said, and just like cut through the bullshit. Even though he sounds like he's off his rocker when he's trying to get the skunk smell off and he's talking to the girlfriend or he's like, do you ever think that like rich people know things that we don't and they're all communicating to each other like through media and like we have like no authority over like the things that we own and like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, of course. (laughs) And like you have to kind of be dumb to not think that like there isn't a higher echelon of people who are doing things that the majority of us don't know about. I think that that's absolutely true and absolutely happening. But like this movie tries to tell you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's not going to change. It doesn't matter if you figure it out or not. So you might as well go about your day and fucking watch Wheel of Fortune and have a good time instead of try to figure out why Vanna White is like searching with her eyeballs. (laughs) So I think that there's like gems in here where like DRM is like, no, no, guys, media is all connected. And I mean, we're in an existence right now where it's like all owned by like three tech companies instead of like any production companies. Right. There's a mania in Sam and and like the people he meets that they become broken by this like reality. And people who hate this movie think that this movie is like the same thing as like the Joker where it's like fake deep. Yeah. Whereas Joker is self-serious. I think there's a self-awareness in this movie not in the characters but like in the movie itself yeah of the ridiculousness of it all yeah and an acceptance of the ridiculousness and i think the people that dislike this movie think that this movie is being serious about it all correct correct i think that like the ridiculousness is the fact that like rich people are escaping with a blonde brunette and a redheaded woman into a grave underneath the city to ascend into a different planetary existence. That is poking fun at like the hidden underworlds of Hollywood. And like, that is not what's happening. But this movie is like drawing you into this like ridiculous version of it. What is happening is that there's like 10 songwriters in all of music and they're like all connected and there's like 15 producers and like fucking Jack Antonoff has like produced every <laughs> like pop female single in the last like 10 years. And before that it was Pharrell and be- like it's all there's like such a lack of originality, but also like it's fine. I think that like DRM is like pointing out the reality that there is a higher echelon of people who know things that we don't and that the, everything is connected in the media and it's low key bullshit, but like who cares? And if you solve the problem, nothing in your life is going to get better. 
And yet he takes that to a, a different level of making it so ridiculous that like you have to eat a cookie that's like clearly laced with something in order to get to a party in a cave where you like dance with a girl with balloons on her. Like that's not really what's happening. <laughs> it's like if you watch this movie, you're still asking what does it mean or what were they trying to say? You miss the point because yeah. they tell you. They tell you I what agree. it means. They tell you what they're trying to say. And it's just you're just here for the vibes. That all said. There is a lot to parse through if you want. Um, yeah. Whether or not it's supposed to be or not is beside the point at this point because there is a really active Reddit thread uh, that kind of, like you said, goes through all the details. Like, are the fireworks firing off in Morse code? Who is the dog killer? What's up with the owl woman? What is the parrot saying? Um, and like, I don't care about any of that personally. That's so funny because I am. I know. <laughs> and like our friend Brett always like pokes fun at me because like we both watch Succession. But by the time he and I like get to see each other again, I've already like consumed like eight extra hours of content about the one hour of television we watched. And I'm like, but did you think about this and then how it's connected to this? And then like in season one and then he's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> stop. And after the finale, he like listened to um a debrief episode basically about it and he's like there's so many things i missed and i was like this is what it's like all the time <laughs> and but i love that kind of stuff i love like a theory show obviously lost is my favorite tv show it's like the peak theory show i'm really enjoying yellow jackets right now which like is a very big theory show um i like figuring out that kind of stuff and i like trying to like solve it but also like to an extent. This time I watched it, I Googled right afterwards. Did anyone figure out what the parrot was saying? Or like, did I miss what the parrot was saying? And it like didn't come up in like the first three searches. So I just like gave up. Like I like don't care that much. <laughs> but I did immediately go search like, did I like miss the code of what the parrot was saying or not? I just want to know enough to be informed. Like when I'm watching. Yeah. Like, like when I would watch Atlanta, I would like read coverage of like the latest episode and they would say, oh, this was actually based on, like, this real news story. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. That informs my viewing. But I'm not yeah. going to, like, kind of get into a philosophical thought process about it. Yeah. Um, even though I think that Atlanta is, like, it's more there for the taking than this movie. I also think you can just watch this movie because they do lay it all out for you. Like, I think that's, like, a very fine way to watch this movie. Yeah, 100%. I'm not a Reddit person. Frankly, the interface is very confusing to me. I'm not in the point in my life where I'm going to try to figure it out. Um, <laughs> the only thing I use Reddit for is like when I'm going to a concert and I want to find out how early people are showing up. Oh, that's smart. I usually just text Olivia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I've never gone on to Reddit to try to figure out the answers to this movie and I really like it. And I feel like there's like two ways to watch it. You can try to solve the mystery of the movie solving the mystery or you could just like watch the movie. <laughs> All right. Do you have any questions for me? Um, a couple and then a couple comments that I want to sneak in here. But um, did you like this movie the first time you watched it? I did. This movie has a lot of things that I like, like a lot of tropes that I like. And I like Los Angeles. So anytime they're like, you know, at the Griffith Observatory, I'm like, I've been there. And <laughs> all those little things that make LA, LA, I enjoy the vibe. So yeah, I liked it. And then I was going to ask, uh, have you spent much time in Silver Lake? I haven't spent a ton of time in Silver Lake, but Los Feliz is the neighborhood right next to it. And Kelsey lived there for a while. And I like Los Feliz a lot. So I tend to like 
make my way over there anytime I'm in town. Makes sense. I mean, neither of us have lived in Los Angeles, so uh, I I don't know why we would. And then a couple of comments uh, really quickly. Um, I did say in the middle of watching this movie, oh, what the fuck? Is that Sydney Sweeney? I like how many like minor character actors there are in this film. Yeah. Sydney Sweeney playing one of the shooting star girls before she was super famous. Zosia Mamet um playing one of the like the girl that like beats up andrew garfield in the bathroom um from from girls shoshana shapiro the guy who plays the zine drawer oh uh, that guy he's in so many things patrick fishler is in like a hundred million things as like that guy he is phil in lost in like the later seasons of lost a character i love uh to hate on um (laughs) (laughs) i recognize him from mad men he plays um the comedian whose yeah. wife sleeps with Don, but that doesn't really narrow it down. I like seeing Jimmy Simpson. I was just going to yeah. say that Jimmy Simpson's in this movie, um, which is super fun also. And he's in Zodiac as the older version of the guy who gets shot in the beginning of the movie. Silver Sun Pickups plays the band that like is performing. <laughs> I think that's super funny. Yeah, it's just there's so many like little things of like, People who know the industry well, I guess, can recognize. That's all. I just wanted to, all right. you know, shepherd that one in. Do you have any questions or comments uh, for me? Yeah, I feel like we covered a lot of it, but um, I wanted to know while we were watching it last night, or while I was watching it last night, especially like the you know the solution of like take a famous rich celebrity and then they can pick three women at their will to live underground. Which Hollywood celebrity in our reality do you think would be most likely involved in something like this? So my immediate thought was Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay, I love that. Because <laughs> I, I, do I skewer him a lot in this podcast? I feel like I do. Um, Did I call I him Bizarro Andrew Garfield? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I just feel like he would like hit blunt once. Um, That's so funny. And... Somehow, I don't think he has enough money for this yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah. And I really blame Nightcrawler for this. Um, <laughs> my, like, most likely answer is, like, obviously Elon Musk. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he would be dumb enough to, like, entomb himself. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he kind of did. He bought Twitter. Um, and then yeah. my, I feel like Dr. Jerry Buss. Who is that? The former owner of the Lakers, who John C. Riley plays in that Winning Time show. Oh, I watched like two episodes, and I was like, "I'm looking up so much. This is so much homework." As I'm watching the <laughs> show, I just gave up. Um, interesting. You obviously know more about that person than I do. I can't really say one way or the other, but sounds right. He was very rich and also very actively uh, active sexually. <laughs> got it. <laughs> and got so it, I feel got like it. he would have got it. Um, <laughs> Do you have any uh, other ones you wanted to shout? Yes. I feel like the only correct answer is Jared Leto. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're right. (laughs) That is a weird dude. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's sad? Uh, What? Both Jake Gyllenhaal and Jared Leto, frequent guests of the UFC. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind Jake Gyllenhaal, but I like Jake Gyllenhaal's movies. So... uh, I think that's fine. Uh, so would you ever watch Under the Silver Lake again? I don't think I will, but I'll think about it. It's not a movie to watch like often, but like 
once every other year. It's like a fun one to put on because then you kind of forget like where the clues go. And then you're like, oh, yeah. So if someone did like this movie or wants to continue to have this kind of vibe in their life um, and not just go on Reddit, what movies should they check out? So definitely It Follows, the other David Robert Mitchell movie. It is horror, but it's just sort of unlike any other movie I've seen. Um, The Invitation is also like a thriller in the last 10 to 12 minutes horror movie, but it is also sort of about like secret societies in plain sight. Um, That's another like movie I suggest to people who feel like they've seen all the horror movies. I really like that film. Um, and then Zodiac, of course, a guy goes insane trying to solve a coded mystery and might have or might not have succeeded, ruins everything else in his life in order to like figure it out. Other people telling him to let it go and all that kind of stuff. So Zodiac is is obviously uh, played an inspiration in this movie. It, it must have, even if it was unintentional. <laughs> Very nice. Shout out to Jake Gyllenhaal. I think your your note on Chinatown was really good. I watched Chinatown, I think this year, earlier yeah, this year for yeah. the first time. Really liked it. What a big surprise. I liked a historically classic movie. Wild. Original Speaking of historically process. classic movies. Yeah, absolutely. But let's take a break. Today's episode of Blind Spotters is not at all sponsored by Deep Sky Vineyard in Sonoida, Arizona. Deep Sky has a killer rosé and grenache, perfect for the hot summer months. Their Malbec, to me, is best in the state. All of their wines are named after celestial themes like stellar, constellation, and eclipse. Not only is their tasting room down south absolutely beautiful, They're also incredibly friendly down there. Drink local wines and support small business. Amanda, I'm sorry if the goddamn chicken got overcooked. You watched Heat. I like the pronunciation. <laughs> it's very fun. Uh, I did this is going to be full of so many bad impressions. What happened in this movie? <laughs> I did watch Heat. Here's what happened. Um, I start off my summary by saying, kind of a lot happens, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but also not. But also, the movie's almost three hours. Um, okay, Neil McCulley, played by Robert De Niro, is an L.A. thief and ringleader. His crew steals millions of dollars worth of bail bonds, and in the process, one of the thieves shoots someone that they're robbing, so they have to kill all of them. This wasn't part of the plan, and McCulley is very upset. He prepares to kill that one. This guy's name is Wayne Grow, uh, but he escapes. On the other side, Vincent Hanna, played by Al Pacino, is an LAPD cop who is set to solve this robbery. Vincent Hanna has a troubled stepdaughter and a strained relationship with his wife. Macaulay, on the other side, is an unattached man who falls for a girl from a bookstore. Macaulay's superior, Nate, played by John Voight, suggests that they try to sell the bail bonds back to the owner, Van Zant, in order to make more money. Van Zant agrees and uses this as a plan to ambush him, 
But Macaulay knew this would end up happening and kills all of Van Zandt's people, promising to kill him as well. Wangro is still out on the lam and in the meantime is also a serial killer. That part was kind of confusing. <laughs> An LAPD informant connects I, Michael uh, Michael Chirito, um, I really can't remember if that's right, uh, to the robbery, and they start trailing him, leading to McCully and the whole crew. Meanwhile, McCully's crew agrees to one last big robbery, not knowing that Hannah is following them. This is when Hannah invites McCully to coffee, and they have this like very famous chat in the diner. Hannah interrupts the final robbery. There's a big shootout in the streets. Cully gets away, but he can't leave things untreaded, so he goes back for Van Zandt and Wayne Gro, killing them both, getting caught by Hannah in the process. There's like a a shadowy final chase scene, and McCully is shot by Hannah, and they hold hands as he dies. That's more or less what happened. And then they made out. And then they kissed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you pick this movie? I just love a conflicted bromance. Um, no, it's just one of the greatest crime heist movies ever. Um, De Niro and Pacino finally on screen together, which is incredibly important in the cinematic canon. And this is probably, with a really big asterisk, Michael Mann's best film. And also it just makes a great use of Los Angeles as a location. Um, maybe not as specifically as under the Silver Lake, but I do think it um, utilized the sprawling nature of L.A., uh, very well. So I thought it was fitting for this uh, category. So what did you think of it and what stood out? So I really liked it. I think it was really long and we'll talk more about that later. But um, I just think that like every movie should be like a cat and mouse, good guy versus bad guy who are two sides of the same coin with two excellent actors. Like if we could just make like one of those every other year, but like actors of this level, that would be great. <laughs> um, it worked. It obviously worked so well. It was just, it's so enticing. And I think that like De Niro and Pacino, both having a lot of baggage and history coming into this movie actually played toward the success. I love that their performances are like playing the hits, I guess. Yeah. Um, like you get the intensity, you get the, the, the energy that you want from De Niro and Pacino. Like, it's like when we watched, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, like you got the energy you wanted from Brad Pitt and Leo. Yeah. Um, and it's not like they're playing parodies of themselves, um, at this point, like they still had their fastballs, both, uh, De Niro and Pacino, the knowledge of them, uh, and their movie star persona only added to the film and didn't take away. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, the movie's really long. It's almost three hours. Um, but the parts of the plot that are a little bit superfluous and, you know, are possibly things that you could cut out, like the Natalie Portman section or like Wayne Grow being a ser serial killer, I think sort of like adds a little bit more depth to the uh, movie and I wouldn't want to cut them out. So... The only thing I could think is like maybe the 15 minute shootout. Like no. Eight minutes. <laughs> no. But I know I'm on not on the side of history with that one. Um, but like Natalie Portman's character is pretty disposable. But I think that like watching Al Pacino be a good stepdad adds like a lot of depth to his character 
and also is that like comparison with De Niro where like Pacino does have a lot to live for and like De Niro like famously walks away from anything. So yeah. I thought that, that like that was really good. I thought Natalie Portman was actually really good in this movie. I like her in general, especially her younger performances. Um, but this was her second movie ever after Leon the Professional. It's a bad point about the shootout, but it's a good point about. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> and fair. I'll, I'll defend that in a second. But um, the the runtime is used to flesh out all the characters, right? Like, yeah, you understand Hannah's motivations, you understand Macaulay's motivations, um, Val Kilmer. Like, they they all are real characters and not stereotypes of characters. Even if like you don't like the story, like I don't really care about the Natalie Portman storyline. Like, if you are going to cut something, like you, you can cut that part probably. Um, I don't really care about Val Kilmer and Ashley Judd's relationship, but also it adds to the weight of their choices. Um, and it's done really efficiently without just leaning on cliches. Yeah. I thought the ex-con that was now like the line cook who like yeah. gets put in at the end, you could have could have done without his like background. That one I really just didn't care about. Um <laughs> But I, but I think, yeah, I think that that part is just a testament to, like, we didn't need to know his backstory, but, like, this whole movie is about everybody has a backstory, because he could just be the guy that fills in for Danny Trejo, because you need Danny Trejo to uh, kind of betray them at the end mm-hmm. um, and not pull through, and so you could just be like, oh, I know a guy, but instead of saying, oh, I know a guy, it's like, oh, we know him, too. Yeah, that's true. But, like, I did like the Val Kilmer and, like, his wife stuff, and it made the moment at the end so much more meaningful. So it all sort of like makes sense. It's like hard to cut something. <laughs> Whereas under the silver lake kind of purposely ha- purposefully has meaningless details. Yes. Quote unquote meaningless details to their plot. And like quote unquote uh, meaningless characters. Yeah. He pays everything off. Yeah. Whether or not they should have like cashed it in or like even like had that plot point to begin with is up for debate, but, like, they cashed everything. What else stood out to you other than the fact that this was almost a three-hour film? What else stood out to me? I love the fact that Robert De Niro's character has no furniture. I think it's so funny. Just, like, if you lived in that space permanently, but he also has, like, one chair and, like, one ottoman for people to sit on. (laughs) Like, (laughs) hey, man, what more do you need sometimes? It's big Kate Bishop energy, like, one fork, one person. (laughs) Yeah, Um, honestly. (laughs) And it's also big, like, 24-year-old boy living in their first apartment energy. Like, he might have had, like, an Xbox, and that's it. Well, I mean, like, if Robert De- – or if uh, Al Pacino's character could teach him anything, if you have a TV, maybe some guy who's fucking your wife will watch it. So just <laughs> don't have a TV. <laughs> Cannot watch my TV. <laughs> He's God, like, Ralph, I am film. angry. Very angry. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Shut up. So good. Oh, man. And then I just wanted to say the chase scene at the end was like the perfect way to end this movie. It is obviously this whole movie is a cat and mouse chase. That's like so obvious. But like to boil it down to just the two of them in the shadows, like feeling the heat around the corner quite literally, but have it not feel overdone. Um, it was very tense. It worked really well with the the sound and the lighting and like all that kind of stuff. Obviously this is something you could never do today because like no one at LAX would allow you to like go that far. Um, And, but I thought it was uh, a really good way to end the movie. Just the two of them. Cause it's obviously like at the end of the day about the two of them. 
Yeah, I appreciated the fact that at the end it wasn't some dramatic like De Niro choking out his last few lines to Pacino. It's just these two guys yeah. were going to hold hands and like understand that we were just both doing our thing. And there is such it reminds me of like when fighters at the end of a fight like hug it out. There's just like <laughs> yeah. that mutual respect of like we challenged each other and we pushed each other and became better at for it. I love that moment as well. I also wanted to know this, you know, goes a little bit into looking up more about the movie. But um, as I was watching it, I was like, how far did they run? <laughs> That's a lot oh of gosh. running. And um, these, this is not Tom Cruise and Daniel Craig running. No. And this is also like they're both in their 50s. Not that you can't run in your 50s, but like... I can barely run now. Yeah, I can't run I was like now. running to the barricade for the Boy Genius concert, and I was like... <gasps> <gasps> Wait for me. Yeah. yeah. So um, Al Pacino had a quote in a video I was watching. It says, I hurt my hamstring, and poor Bob had to run around all night by himself being chased by an understudy. And I think that's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. I couldn't find... So how many takes it was and i couldn't find like how far it was distance wise but it seemed like a lot of running i know i one of my favorite things in action films is when they do an absurd amount of running i'm like at what point would i be done oh yeah i think about that anytime there's like a chase through the forest i'm like i wouldn't make it (laughs) poor bob what have you thought about the most since watching this film um, one of the first things I thought about and has kind of stuck with me is um how dramatic and over the top, but like very fitting the score is. Um, I really liked it. It was something I noted while I was watching it. It's done by Elliot Goldenthal. He's done more movie scores and is like very much noted with like mixing styles in very original ways. Um, which if I, you can definitely feel that in this movie and something I was thinking about, like, oh, there's some classical elements, but there's some like rock elements. And I just thought it was really unique. Um, he's a student of Aaron Copeland, who is known as the Dean of American composers. He's a composer I like a lot. I like to listen to his music while I'm studying or I guess I don't study anymore, but like while I'm writing or trying to focus, um, I listen to a lot of his compositions when I was in high school. Elliot Goldenthal has also won Academy Awards for his work, including helping out on the interview with the vampire score. Uh, So I thought that was really fun. He did not win an Academy Award for this movie, as we will definitely discuss more. Um, And then something I thought was just like really fun was that he is not married, but he's in a longtime partnership since 1980 with Julie Taymor who is like a theater directing legend. She brought the Lion King to the stage, which is like a oh, multi Tony award winning situation. Um, she's also been nominated for many Academy Awards, both for like original song for score, all that kind of stuff. She did the music for Frida, the movie with Selma Hayek um, and won some Academy Awards for that. She also did, um, she directed, I believe, and like did the musical composition for Across the Universe, the oh. jukebox like Beatles musical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that like these two legends being together is very cool, and uh, learned a lot about researching like the score of the film. Yeah, yeah, the score is rock solid. It's '90s, but it's not dated. Yeah, it's um, it's just so fitting for the the style of the movie. What else have you thought about? Yeah, so obviously the diner scene. If you know like anything about movies, you've at least seen like stills of the diner scene. 
when we watch Training Day, they the movie starts at the same diner in the same booth. Um, and I had noted at the time that like this diner is used in a lot of different Hollywood movies. So here, here it is again. Um, it had been nearly two decades after The Godfather Part Two, which obviously Robert De Niro and Al Pacino are both in, but they had shared no screen time because they're in like two different timelines of the movie. Um, so it was sort of thought in Hollywood to be a corrective of this situation and give people what they want, essentially. Like put these two legends who are have very similar careers, very similar styles, finally put them face to face. And then they like literally put them face to face. Um, it's just like a it's a masterclass. It's there's so much tension, there's so much like respect, but there's also like a a game being played the whole time, which is very yeah. cool. You can tell, you know, from the screenplay to the performances, every there there is so much into every single sentence of like, I respect you, but I'm also trying to get something out of you. And like the other person, like the moves and counter moves. Um, I love what leads up to the scene is the fact that Vincent Anna takes a chopper to a car to pull over Macaulay mm -hmm. to go say, let's have a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> like defund the police for sure. <laughs> he like definitely is in a plane or in a chopper like three times. And I was like, ooh, funding was different then. <laughs> What else have you been thinking of? So uh, in this scene, but in many other scenes, Macaulay tells people his like mantra, which is don't let yourself get attached to anything you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. So good. <laughs> and like to an extent, this is the thesis of the whole movie. I mean, he walks away from Edie, his girlfriend that he's trying to take away to a new country. But also it is his downfall because while he's like willing to walk away from his girlfriend and he never buys furniture because he's willing to walk away from his house, he like doesn't take into consideration that he's like not willing to walk away from vengeance, nor is he willing to walk away from Chris. And like both mm. of those things get him caught in the end. I'd never put that together. You're welcome. <laughs> this is a top tier, like S tier level say the name of the movie in the movie because it's not like it's like the opposite of nick cage saying face off yeah it's just like seamlessly put into a line has there been anything else that you've thought about since watching this film some of the first things i looked up about the movie uh when we hear the phrase the action is the juice when they're talking about <laughs> like um macaulay is basically asking his crew like i'm gonna do this one more thing and then i'm out like are you guys with me basically and because chris uh, needs it yeah yeah, exactly, because he needs it in order to, like, pay all of his, like, debts. And the one character is, like, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I had no <laughs> idea that it came from this movie, um, and it was, like, pretty much the first thing I looked up while I was watching it. <laughs> Where I was like, is this from this movie? And the answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's such an iconic moment because uh, Tom Sizemore is like, this is my moment. Yeah. And he eats up genuinely. 10 seconds of silence and he's so proud of himself yeah. while he's doing it too. He's like, I'm winning an Academy Award from this line. Reader, he did not. Um, <laughs> uh, what else did you look up? There are certain shots of this movie or like single frames of this movie that I was really impressed by. So I wanted to know more about the cinematographer. Um, it's an Italian cinematographer named Dante Spinotti. He's worked on like other modern noirs like LA Confidential that we just mentioned. 
um, earlier, and he's been nominated for many Academy Awards for his work. Um, But he's also frequently credited with helping to pioneer in the use of high-definition digital video in cinematography, which I think is a very cool thing that I never... I mean, someone has to bring it to the people, but it's fun to find, like, oh, this is that guy. I loved how much they used uh, just shadows and light and um, the different perspectives he brought to the different heists in the film. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's like, whole shots that are just, like, still, and it's it's really good. Um, it's still with tension, though. Yeah, no, I liked it. And then, of course, the last thing I looked up is uh, which awards it's won. It won zero awards because it wasn't even nominated for awards. It got fucking travesty. It got no Academy Award nominations. It got nothing. It got no like sound awards. Um, which I feel like if this movie came out today, it would sweep at the Oscars. <laughs> like, like we're begging <laughs> for a movie like this. And not only is it is it egregious that it didn't get any technical awards or anything, but like here, just just here's the best picture nominees for this year. Braveheart, whatever. Okay. Apollo 13, pretty okay. solid. Il Postino, yeah. Babe, and Sense and Sensibility. People love those movies. But like... <laughs> also people love Heat. heat. <laughs> yeah. Val Kilmer should have got Best Supporting Actor. Val Kilmer is so good in this movie. Val Kilmer is so good in this movie. Um, to watch two Val Kilmer performances back to back was very enlightening since I really hadn't seen a lot of Val Kilmer movies. Um, no, he's excellent in this movie. He's sort of one of the like emotional cruxes of the film. Yeah, and he gets to play the most fun role in like a heist or a, a squad type movie where you're like the second. Yeah, the B guy. Yeah, or and, and like he's like a little troubled, but he knows he's not good enough to be the lead. Yeah. But he's also like the only guy that the lead will trust. The fact that he's sa- like that Val Kilmer sandwiches Tombstone and Heat with True Romance and Batman Forever is just like a testament to like Val Kilmer's career. Yeah. Uh, where you just have some real great ones and then you have like Batman Forever. Um <laughs> <laughs> This is basically like the all-star game of that guy's where everybody in this movie is like a, a little bit of a somebody. I mean, even down to like Jeremy Piven in like one single scene, yeah. like obviously before he got his like a hair done by Hollywood, but like it's, it's so good. I mean, Danny Trejo even playing like a, a medium to, to like, Small Literally playing part. Gilbert Trejo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's all so good. Everyone was great. <laughs> to piggyback off that point and shout out a couple more, I guess like those character actors, those that guys, as you will. Um, I thought it was great to see Ted Levine. Um, yeah. As one of the detectives. Uh, shout out to our Silence of the Lambs watch. Uh, a That guy, King William Fickner, uh, who we saw in Armageddon recently. Yep. Um, playing Van Zant, and then uh, love seeing John Voight with, with so much hair. Hair, it was really weird. <laughs> I, <did laughs> I not, love his character, though. I did not like the hair. I did like his character. The actress who plays Edie, um, I'm not sure if she. I'm. She must have had like a whole other career, but she's also like one of the main characters in The Leftovers. 
So oh yeah, it was nice to see. It was like fun to see her for my first time as like a younger actress. I was like, oh my god! Like once I put it together, I was like, holy cow! Her character's funny because whenever they're like, Neil, where are you from? And he says, I don't know, like the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she, oh. he's like, where are you from? And she's like, my parents immigrated from Ireland in in nineteen eighty or in the seventeen hundreds and moved to Appalachia. Well, that's like the most like ridiculous thing is that like. <laughs> She says, he's like, where are you from? And then she says, like, oh, we're Irish American or whatever. And then she says, in the 1800s. (laughs) And I was like, girl, I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant, where were you born? And then she's because you have a weird accent. And then she's like, yeah, to the Appalachians. And we've been there ever since. And I'm like. Bitch, that's what he meant. He wasn't I was even like, asking that. He was like, say West Virginia or like North Carolina yeah, or something. Honestly. But now she's from my- <laughs> It's so funny. I'm just like, bro, did you just do 23 and Me? Like, how do you know this? Yeah. Do you have like a favorite part of the movie? We never really asked this. Like, what was like your favorite scene or like your favorite section of the movie? I mean, it's the diner scene, right? Yeah. Like, it's. We should have that. We should add that category. Like, what's your favorite part of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> or, like, do you have a fa- favorite scene? If so, what? The, the heist shootout, the heist that they bail on is great. The opening scene is, or the opening sequence is sick. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wish I could see this movie in a theater so I could see um, and hear them hitting the truck. Because that sounds like it's going to be the loudest shit ever. Um, this is a loud movie. Unfortunately for my neighbor, I was li- watching this movie at, like, 1 a.m. Um, <laughs> and like, I'm sorry, I'm not turning it down during the shootout. I think my favorite scene is the uh, the payoff of the Book of Medals where they're trying to do that <laughs> that uh, heist and the guy inside of like Pacino's uh, truck like makes one sound and De Niro's like, we're bailing, we're out, we're out. And I was like, that's so good. It, it, yeah, it's also a great testament to the crew because they're all just like, okay. <laughs> yeah and like, like they don't, they don't right. they're not like we need this they're like all right we're following um yeah. i also really liked the uh scene where they're trying to figure out what they were looking at uh where the lapd are trying to figure out what the criminals were looking at and it like clicks for pacino where he's like oh, they were looking at us we got yeah, we like, just oh. and then they like zoom in on him and he's like we just got made and i was like this is great <laughs> do you have any other questions about this movie or the ideas of it or anything like that is it your favorite de niro or pacino movie slash performance um that's so difficult uh for de niro i don't think it's not my favorite performance from him even though i do love it and it's like it's shark tale isn't it (laughs) spoiler (laughs) no it's actually silver laddie's playbook um i think i go to this movie when i want a dose of either of them and like i just want a good movie um, even if it's not my favorite, um, just like how you like probably go to your like the closest coffee place instead of your favorite coffee place every single day. Yeah. Um, but I do think I, I think Goodfellas might be my favorite De Niro performance, like because he is so menacing and he's perfectly in this little pocket of a side character. I think my if I was trying to pick like a hipster take, I love De Niro in Mean Streets. I love Mean Streets. I just watched Mean Streets like two weeks ago in recording time for my first time ever <laughs> for Pacino. I feel like I, I, I have no grip on Pacino's like career. 
hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I, I, it's probably like The Godfather, like, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. but like, is that a Pacino movie? Like, it is, but it isn't. It definitely is, but there's also a lot of people in that movie. Yeah. Um, I, I, Dog Day Afternoon is a great one, too. Yeah, that's my favorite Pacino movie. Um, or like, that's my favorite Pacino performance. Let's just say that. Um, I'm missing a lot of like big Al Pacino movies. Maybe that will go on my completionism list. Yeah. You know, you know what is like a personal favorite is him in any given Sunday. Cause it's like the last gasp of like Pacino before he becomes parody of Pacino for like the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's just a perfect, like gruff football coach. Um, that's an underrated movie. Uh, <laughs> we should talk about it one day. Yeah, I've definitely seen more De Niro movies than I have Pacino movies. Um, just going down some of the more famous ones that I haven't seen. I haven't seen Dick Tracy, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, The Insider, um, Cruising. I haven't seen Any Given Sunday. We were just talking about... I haven't seen Devil's Advocate, Donnie Brasco, Carlito's Way, Serpico, De- Son of a Woman, Scarface, The Godfather Part Two. <laughs> I haven't seen any of those films. Um, oh, you haven't seen Godfather Part Two? No. I know it's so good. And I loved The Godfather Part One. It's just like such a homework assignment, even though I know I'm going to love it. And I don't know what, there's like a brain blockage somewhere, but it definitely is getting done by the end of the year. That is like a a mandatory. On like the reverse, I think the only like big famous, like definitely need to see De Niro performances I haven't seen. Obviously Godfather Part 2. But I also haven't seen um, The Bronx Tale, The Deer Hunter I haven't seen... Uh, Have you seen Midnight Run? Nope. Haven't seen Midnight Run. Haven't seen King of Comedy. Both of those are super high on my list right now. Um, I haven't seen Jackie Brown, but we're taking care of that soon. Um, but, like, that's kind of it. Like, the rest of them are, like, silly and little. Like, I've seen Meet the F- Meet the Parents, but, like, I haven't seen Meet the Fockers, but, like, that doesn't mean I don't have a good grasp on, like, Robert De Niro's c- career or anything like that. And, like... I've seen uh, Silver Linings Playbook, and I know that he plays the dad, but, like, that obviously wasn't my takeaway from that movie. Um, I've seen Awakenings, and I know that he's, like, oddly, like, did he win an Academy Award for that movie or, like, something like that? But, like, that movie is, like, really odd and, like, not, like, what I think of when I think of his career. But all the other big ones I've been able to cross off. Yeah, for some reason, I feel like De Niro's just been more around or maybe like, I don't know, like he has Shark Tale and he, yeah. <laughs> or like he has, like he has Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers. He has, um, he has Joker. Um, yeah. Or like American Hustle or the you know, intern. He has these, the Intern, which is great. A great movie. It um, is a great movie. I like the movie a lot. Um, shout out to Nancy Myers. Pay her all the money. Pay for her fucking kitchen. Um, but yeah, I think I feel like I've seen more De Niro movies than Pacino um, yeah. to this day, even just like accidentally. Do you have any other questions about this film? I don't think so. I think the uh, what other comments do I have written down here? Um, or can we talk about the shoot the the last heist right here? 
the last heist or the the shootout? It's part of it's the same thing. Oh, I guess so. I was thinking I was thinking like the last like chase. I guess is different, but yes, let's talk about the big shootout. Um, you, I will actually give you the floor for the last shootout because my brain like went to white noise after a while, especially because it's so loud. And I also was like getting very anxious, which is like 2023 brain where I was like, this is a lot of machine guns in public spaces. And I'm like not feeling great, <laughs> which like I know it's a movie. It's it's also it's a heist movie, right? Yeah, um, I understand. But but also to that point, this is one of the most realistic gunfights put to film um, down to like. Uh, I think it was Kilmer was really proud of the fact that like um, the military will show this this scene to like show how to reload or how you should reload because they yeah. did so much weapons training for this movie. I think they brought in like a British special forces uh, person to advise and they spent three months training on on weapons usage. I'm not a big gun guy. Like I don't I don't care about guns that much. Yeah. Um, but I do care about like the energy and tension of a good shootout scene because they can be pretty boring like we've all seen boring shootout movies Mm -hmm. or shootout films um but there's a real like uh like it just feels like you're on a rocket ship in this in this in this shootout because you feel like you're in it so deeply because of the sound because of the shots because of um the performances from the actors um i think is it long yes but it's like Almost, that's kind of the point. Like, I think it's a 10-minute scene um, yeah. in total, uh, which I know your brain goes on. But it's like, <laughs> the argument is like, if you like, is like asking like Singing in the Rain to be like half the length it is. I, like, well, he's dancing a lot. I understand. <laughs> and I want to be very clear. I get it. And I, <laughs> there's like a whole list of things. If I had like a magic genie and the genie was like, what do you want to change about your brain? I don't know if this will be top of the list, but I would love to be able to like focus through like big action sequences because I can't. I think it's cinematic. I think, you know, dramaturgically, this is what needed to happen. Like, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for it, which is why it's something that like I wish I could like lock in on more because I want to like be fully engaged in it because I do understand like how much work and effort went into it. And I think it is very cool. I just like (laughs) really struggle and it's a huge bummer, but I, this is definitely not meant to be like, wow, shootout. Why did they do that? They could like, this is stupid. Cut it out of the movie. It's just like a really long shootout. (laughs) How many of these movies do you ever watch in theater? Have you ever watched in a theater? Of the like, like examples like, that I just gave, like or that like we just gave between like the Bourne films, the John like, Wick, yeah. Film. So like I've never seen any of them in a theater. I've seen obviously the MCU ones, but like so I, I think that's the argument too is that like these scenes are definitely made for yeah the theater experience, right? Where like you can't help but like you just have to watch. Was there any other questions you had about the movie? I think that was it. There's so much research out there. It was like pretty easy to find the answers to pretty much any of my questions. Nice. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me? Um, A handful. And then I just want to sneak a few comments in here as well. But um, first of all, do you have a favorite Pacino loud moment? Because there's give me all you got. There's she's got a great ass. There's the TV moment. I'll just describe the scene because I can't remember like all of the words. But it's the time where... 
uh, Detective Vincent Hanna is visiting the like junkyard toward the beginning of the movie. And it is the give me all you got scene. But there's like so many other one liners in that scene that he just like raises his voice on. And I'm like, that is so good. It's also my favorite part because he goes, by the time I get to Phoenix, yeah, we'll be rising. It's so funny. <laughs> I really love that part. Um, so, again, I I don't know all the words off after one viewing, but like that scene, and he says something as he's like walking out. That's really funny, and I like that part a lot. That's if a not, it's the Ralph scene about the television set. That makes sense. Uh, obviously, with De Niro and Pacino, young Pacino, young De Niro. Where do you land on the hotness pole? Pacino. The answer is yeah, Pacino. I got to go with De Niro. Personally. I totally understand. And I think that there are in, incredibly Pacino hot- is your type of. Correct. Dude. <laughs> That's what I'm getting to. But as you know, and maybe cut this out because I don't know how much I need the world to know. I love an older man. And I think <laughs> like older De Niro fucking can get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you talking about like heat De Niro? Yeah, like heat and older, hot, <laughs> into it. Like Shark Tale De Niro. No, I, I don't know if he looks like a Shark Tale. Um, all right, as we round out here, would you watch this movie again? Yes, absolutely. Hell yeah. Anyway, so if you liked Heat uh, and you want to watch more movies like this, uh, here's a few. Uh, I mentioned them a, a bit already, but like Collateral, another Michael Mann film with Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise absolutely rips it's a great los angeles movie it's a terrible los angeles geography movie but uh it is a good uh in la you gotta drive everywhere type of film um den of thieves is a film that is pretty good and it's definitely just like oh let's make heat um Mm -hmm. this is a film that stars uh gerard butler um o'shea jackson jr 50 cent uh, ufc fighters and former champions max holloway and michael bisping have a couple cameos in it as well it's not great, but there are great moments in that film. A better film than that that is somewhat similar is The Town. I um, fucking love The Town. The Town fucking rips. Yeah. Uh, it's basically if you made Heat in Boston. Boston. Um, and cared more about the crew than you did about the cops. But like uh, John Hamm is great in the film. Obviously, Jeremy Renner is great. And so is Ben Affleck. Um, and so is Blake Lively. Uh, yeah. Man, The Town's so good. The Town is so good. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. We did it. Uh, you watched the movie. We, will, I watched the movie. Which movie do you think Louis would love more? Oh, this is a hard one. No, I don't think he would like the Natalie Portman ness of Heat. I think that would make him very <laughs> emotional. It would be too hard for him. But I think he would enjoy the like two sides of the same coin opposing each other. That's very similar to yeah. his life. Um, I think that would be good for him. I think almost all of Under the Silver Lake would go right over his head. And he would be like, he would hate it. I don't get this. So yeah, I think by it. default, we got to go Heat. I think he would like Heat because he has also spent like those 20, 30 years with De Niro and Pacino in the movies as well. Also true. He's a movie man. And like these movies, these people coming together was a bit part probably of be movie like coming together. Walking around at night and he sees the marquee. He's like, oh, De Niro and Pacino in a movie together. I kind of see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree. He's been waiting for that one. Um, all right. Uh, let's 
That's great. Let's talk about the next movies. Why don't you tell people what we're watching next? This is a really fun one that we've been very excited about. Everybody get your toes out. Oh, God. I'm so <laughs> mad that you said that. Um, now I'm like bullshit <laughs> trying to say it. Um, we're swapping Quentin Tarantino movies. I have, I think, seen every Tarantino film except like two. And one of them is Jackie Brown. So that's what I'll be watching. And Zach, what will you be watching? I'll be watching two films, which is because Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. I have also watched, I think, probably 60% of Tarantino's films. That's saying I've watched six. And so, but Kill Bill is probably the, the one or two, depending on how you count it. He counts it as one um, film that I have not seen yet. Um, I'm so excited for you to watch Jackie Brown, though. Another great Los Angeles film. Another great De Niro film. Me too. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hyped. What do you know about that movie, if anything? I really don't know a lot about it. I, yeah. Which is like kind of why I'm really excited to see. I mean, I'm excited to see it because I love completionism, as we've talked so much about. And I also know that like people fucking love this movie. So I'm also very excited to see it for that reason. But I think it's just because I've gone this many years and I really don't know much about it i don't really know who's in it um i believe it's about like a a, a st- an air stewardess i'm so excited for you to watch okay <laughs> i hope i'm right uh yeah also the uh, the other one i haven't seen by tarantino is the hateful eight but i've seen the uh, rest yeah. of them uh what do you know about kill bill either movie um i know it's uh uma thurman i know it's uh like a big uh, like homage and inspired by like those exploitation kung fu movies that Tarantino loves, um, and I know there's a character named the Black Mamba. Yeah, I think like specifically because of the movies you like, you're gonna love this film, and it's like a very fun excuse for me to rewatch them. I'm so excited. Yeah. I haven't. That's re-watched how I feel them. about Jackie Brown too. I've I've not rewatched Kill Bill since I first saw it, so I'm excited to see them both. Um, all right, what else is on your watch list besides Jackie Brown? So this Thursday, as of recording, technically this Friday, but of course we all know how theaters work. This Thursday, Wes Anderson's new movie Asteroid City comes out. Every review I've seen says it's probably his best film. I'm so excited. Oh, wow. It is like a who's who of all of the. A- like Wes Anderson people, um, plus some new extras. Maya Hawk is in it. Speaking of Kill Bill, um, Uma Thurman's daughter. Um, but I'm just so excited to see it. And it comes out this week. I'm going to see it on Thursday. Um, another movie that is like on my can't believe I've never seen this movie list is Victor Victoria. It was a movie that Julie Andrews did in like, I want to say the 70s. And it's about a cross-dressing singer, actor. And she took like a lot of flack for doing this movie at the time. And the movie got like weird reviews because of it. But I listened to Julie Andrews' memoir during the pandemic. And she talked a lot about like, what like receiving that sort of feedback was like and especially like she, her background is in the theater and she's like it was not weird for me because people do that all the time in the theater and I just thought that was really interesting it's always stuck with me and I 
I had never seen an opportunity to stream it, and now it's on Max. So I'm going to try to watch that one. Um, and then season six of Black Mirror is out. And I have seen a few episodes, but I would like to finish it. So um, I'm excited to finish that as well. What about you? What are you watching? What's on your list? Um, polar opposite from Black Mirror. Uh, I want, I'm excited to watch No Hard Feelings. I know Jennifer Lawrence's uh, entry into just like this shithouse summer comedy. Really happy for her. Really happy for the kid who's playing the lead. Um, lucky guy. By the time you're listening to this, we'll be like a week or two, probably a week, week and a half away from the Oppenheimer Barbie double. That's true. I have my um, tickets for both. Incredible. I found out recently I'm going to be in London, so I don't know when I'll be able to watch either. I've never seen a movie abroad, but I've heard like the England theater going experience is really unique. And I think you should try to see a movie while you're there. Friend of the pod, Joe Setley, watched Don't Worry Darling in London. Amazing. And he said it was just a bunch of like schoolgirls in the theater. Oh, yeah. That's what it was like in America, too. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> that's the Harry Styles of it all. Um, yeah, that's true. So let's quickly break it down. What's the order of operations here? Are we going it's, Oppenheimer Barbie or Barbie Oppenheimer? Does it matter? Ideally, if I was home and like going to the theater, yeah. I'd go Oppenheimer um, probably like gets like take a nap and so then go, go to see Barbie. Go to the theater. So like a midday Oppenheimer. Yeah. Come home, nap, nighttime yeah. Barbie. Definitely. Okay. Interesting. I'm seeing Barbie Thursday night and then I'm seeing Oppenheimer Friday night in the uh, film IMAX screening. Oh, I'm so jealous that that's an option for you. Somehow, like, Arizona Mills is, like, the one of, like, 13 screens in the world that, like, have yeah, this specific like, screening of it. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Does it make yeah. any sense? I'm going. <laughs> so because Friday worked better for my friends, I am now doing Thursday Barbie, Friday Oppenheimer. Either way, for Oppenheimer, I have to be, like, I have to have had my weird, like, midday nap first. Or I need to go immediately first thing because, like, I just had to. I tend to accidentally fall asleep for like five seconds in a movie mm -hmm. if I like go straight from work. Um, famously, one time when I saw uh, Eternals with our good friends Bobby and Maya, um, I dozed off at one point and woke up to the one sex scene in MCU history. Really <laughs> weird situation. Um, <laughs> but either way, I think uh, I'll try to see Oppenheimer first and then go see Barbie. Um, Amazing. I, I, I want to, I'm saving Barbie. I so you're doing myself. dinner than dessert. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Exactly. Okay. It's a great way to put it. Then the other film that's on my watch list is CoverGirl, um, musical with Gene Kelly and Rita Hayworth. We did it. We did it. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I think this was a fun episode. These are two really good movies. We've got two slash three really good movies next month also. So we're on a, a little bit of a hot streak. Um, it's going to be great. You can always find a new episode of Blind Spotters, except when we have tef technical difficulties on the second <laughs> Tuesday of the month. Um, please follow the podcast on Instagram at BlindSpottersPod. I'm trying to like put up some fun content, some fun facts, all that stuff. And uh, on Twitter at BlindSpotters. Zach, where can people follow you online? You can find me on Twitter at ZachPocklub. And as always, you can find me on Letterboxd. How about you? 
You can send me any compliments to my DMs or just like a public message at Amanda Luberto across all social media platforms. All right. We did it. This was good. I have a trip to LA planned in July, so this is like great timing. (laughs) Oh, I don't. I need to go to LA soon. I love LA. I love LA. Let's get out of here. All right. Bye. By the time I get to Phoenix, it'll be rising. Probably leave a note. So many, so many Arizona references. (laughs) This is actually an Arizona pod. (laughs) 